Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business Growth Show, where we talk about all components of business and how to utilize them for exponential growth. My name is Ethan Cassiotis. I'm a serial entrepreneur, international speaker, result strategist, business coach, mentor, and consultant. Today, I have an awesome guest. He is an American Buddhist entrepreneur, podcast host of Talk Launch, and the co-founder of Kitcaster, a podcast booking agency where he facilitates thousands of extraordinary conversations. He also previously owned a media and marketing agency for 10 years. Now, he helps busy entrepreneurs book top podcast interviews. Welcome, Ryan Estes, and thank you for being on my show. Ethan, that was a lovely introduction. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you so much. You're very welcome, mate. I'm sure it's going to be an amazing show for everyone watching and listening today. So you're a very successful entrepreneur. So for those people who don't know who you are, just please introduce yourself by telling us about you and your journey. You betcha. Uh, I founded a company called Kitcaster, like you mentioned. Uh, we're a podcast booking agent agency. All we do is book entrepreneurs on other people's podcasts. We work largely in the business categories. Um, our clients are funded startup founders, entrepreneurs with exits, and C-suite level executives. And we book them on the world's top podcasts, much like the business growth show that I'm on here today. Awesome, mate. Love it. Uh, you know, very, very cool thing. And um, yeah, very awesome to uh, be part of this. And um, yeah, the podcast world, very cool. And um, yeah, you've got an awesome history um, with obviously doing business before and now being able to really connect people, um, you know, globally, which is really awesome for what you do there. So, you know, podcasts are becoming much more influential these days, you know, just not from my own, but you know what I'm seeing a lot more people are ingesting podcasts, you know, on a, on a daily basis. So I guess initially, um, you know, how can we, if we have a podcast or how can podcasts in general, let's call it, um, benefit our personal and, and professional brand? That's a great question. You know, there's a lot of different ways. I mean, one, you know, our personal brand, if it might be surmised in another way, it's just like, how can we benefit as a person from podcasting? And I think the results from going on podcasts or, or hosting a podcast are so extraordinary, it's hard to even like give them labels. Um, bettering yourself by learning how to communicate more or how to attract an audience to your to your stories and your the, the topic of conversation or even your passions, mastering that. And it is something that can be mastered. And as anything that can be mastered, it takes practice. You know, so I think that just in itself um, is often worth the price of admission. Now there's a lot of folks like like you, Ethan, and me maybe that we're just talkers. We're born to do this. So this is like a native uh, platform for us. It's a way of life pretty much. <laughs> We need to be in front of the microphone and we need to have these conversations. So it's really exciting. I mean, podcasting, there's a couple characteristics I, I find, particularly in kind of the, the, the business categories. Um, you know, it's people that are looking for um, earnest conversations with new people. You know, that we just met, you know, five minutes ago and we have this time carved out to like, hey, let's see what kind of synthesis we can come to. Uh, as a basis of just kind of talking to each other. I think that's really exciting. Um, what I love about business podcasts as well is that they're really used as a resource. You know, the, the entrepreneurial opportunities um, that are beholden to us in, in these days are extraordinary. 
But there's so many facets of every little thing that podcasts become a really valuable resource to find different um, uh, fixes and different cures for whatever is kind of ca causing a hitch in your giddy up in your business. So for, for us, you know, the, the business categories are fantastic. Of course, there's, you know, a, a, any number of um, entertainment type podcasts, which are also great to listen to, but we're really interested in the podcasts that are interested in solving problems. Yeah, love that. Really powerful stuff. And uh, I've definitely seen the benefit. And and uh, I'm sure with you, as much as we're, you know, we, we are born to talk, some of us, I think, you know, the, like with anything, right, repetition is the mother of all skills. So the more you do something, you know, it just becomes even easier and easier. And um, yeah, create an awesome experience and, and so much uh, personal growth as well. So, you know, a lot of people now, um, you know, whether you're hosting or um, you're being interviewed on a podcast, it's, a, you know, it's about building this brand and, um, you know, public relations, you know, are becoming quite big, right, in that. So how can podcasts sort of work in tandem with public relations so that we can, you know, get ourselves out there much more? Yeah, it's interesting because public relations is a, is a relatively old um, kind of medium, you know, where that used to be, you know, print, whether it was magazines and newspapers, and then it became kind of television and, and getting position into like different media outlets. Um, but largely, particularly for entrepreneurs, you're kind of in the hands of journalists or publicists or people that are taking your story and spinning your story, um, which will always have a, an element of that. I think where podcasting is unique, particularly for the folks that we work with, entrepreneurs, our clients, our founders, you know, is that they have opportunity to tell their own story. You know, I'm sure that the, the particularly adept ones are spinning in a certain direction that they want to go, um, but they're in the driver's seat, you know, and oftentimes, you know, particularly with tech or SaaS companies, you know, there might be six, seven different competitors in your particular category. And why is one person going to choose you or over the other company? You both have flat blue logos with a nice six word URL or a six letter URL. I mean, what's the difference here? Oftentimes it comes down to like, do people have a personal connection with the founder? And if they do, that's a tremendous advantage for sure. Yeah, definitely. Love that. Awesome there. And, and I guess, you know, one thing is having the podcast, right. Or, or, you know, whether it's your hosting or your interview, but how can we then leverage podcast interviews to then, you know, create business out of this, right. To generate leads, even to, you know, to validate new products and, and create new opportunities as well. You bet. So from a podcast host standpoint, you know, I had a, a business podcast that I, I did for 10 years and interviewed 300 different founders. Um, and oftentimes, you know, that was while I had a media marketing agency and I'd spend the hour finding what the pain points were and where their business was lacking a little bit. And at the end of that conversation, I had a pretty good lay of the land of if I could be of service. So, you know, you, you stop recording and I could say, hey, you know what, in this area right here, maybe my company can help you. Um, and that was really successful, you know, because I think one thing that's also inherent in podcasting or just good conversation in general is a, a feeling of trust, you know, especially as a host. You know, you bring somebody on the show, people come on the show and they're nervous. What is he going to ask me? You know, they're, they're trusting that you're going to lead them in a, in a good direction. And if you can kind of deliver them to the finish line. Um, and they had a good experience and felt like everything went well, then, you know, that, that basic trust is something you can build on, 
you know, now from, from the guest side, you have kind of a, a different kind of opportunity here because really you're bringing, let's say your, your shared expertise, you have, you have something unique about you or maybe it's a product, maybe it's your story and you're basically trading that for the podcast host audience. You know, so being respectful of that audience and understanding that like maybe they have an ask and maybe there's an opportunity that you can give them an ask that's kind of low hanging fruit. So like, how can you be of value to the audience first? Um, is a great way to go into a podcast interview, particularly if it's kind of like a business kind of uh, show where they're, the audience is interested in hearing solutions. Yeah, love that. Really awesome stuff. So I guess, you know, some people probably aim to get on podcasts and they probably have it, you know, it's a bit challenging for them sometimes to, to be able to get on them. So um, do you want to maybe talk about the benefits of getting a podcast agent, uh, you know, like Kitcaster to book podcast interviews for us. You bet. I mean, it's not rocket science. What we do is old school. You know, the way we scale our business is butts and seats and people like reaching out and making relationships, you know? So um, what's true about most podcast hosts, producers and showrunners is that they're not necessarily communications professionals. So getting through to these folks and, you know, getting something on the calendar, delivering it to the finish line can be challenging. You know, that just means it takes time, you know. So if you have a pretty sophisticated outreach that you can do personally, um, go ahead and do it. You know, it's, it's, it's a long play. Um, but if you work with somebody like us, you know, like Kitcaster, we're going to save you time. Um, we're, we're very, very good. I would say we're the best in the world at qualifying, you know, what are your outcomes? What are you looking to get out of podcasts and matching those to, to podcast um, and podcast hosts that speak to that audience and can help give you your outcomes. So in the end, you know, you hire a podcast booking agency because you're curious and committed to like using podcasts as a serious channel um, to get your message out and you, you want it done by the best. Um, so, I mean, it saves you time and money at the end of the day. Yeah, love that. Definitely sure does. And it's a, you know, precious commodities, um, you know, in this world, especially time. So love that. And um, I guess for people that, you know, let, let's talk about people that are interviewed on podcasts, right? So they're not a host, but they want to get onto podcasts to get themselves out more. For those types of people, what are some tips maybe you can give so that they do a great podcast interview as well? You bet. There's a couple of things that we kind of go over and we have additional kind of, um, I don't want to say coaching or training. It's, it's more about like an a, a exploration of your past in a certain way, because the most important thing you can do is use stories, especially the first five, six minutes. They're going to say, Hey, you know, Ethan, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, you should have three or four stories teed up that um, attract the audience to you so they can relate to you and understand you. You know, stories are huge. We've been doing that as long as we've been humans, as we've been communicating with each other through story. So that's really important. The other is to like have a very clear um, call to action and next steps that people can take um, to get to know you. You know, at the end of that conversation, if there's a place where they can take, take it step further or maybe explore a little bit more, that's really important as well. Um, you know, so so we'll go into a little bit of that kind of work. Um, but really, I think if people are prepared uh, for stories, and I suppose the last thing would be just command presence. You know, uh, my grandfather was a major general in the Marine Corps, and he was the most 
amazing speaker I've ever met. And he was also the kind of person that walked into a room and everyone paid attention just because he had command presence. Um, not because he commanded men, because most certainly he did, is because he just emanated like um, a certain thing. I don't know what to call it. Um, but if you go to a podcast and you go to every podcast and, and feel like, hey, someone is paying me to speak on this. Everybody who's sitting and listening at home is paying $10,000 to listen to me speak. I think that might bring your, out your best and, and put you on your A game, you know? So if you've got command presence, you've got great next steps and you're using stories in, in the way you're communicating, I think it's the best bet for people to actually be able to, uh, to listen to you, to hear you and to kind of be in a position to receive what you have to offer. Yeah, love that. Amazing points there. And um, if we talk a little bit more about just deeper on your thoughts about monetization of a podcast, because you talked about like generating leads and things through that, which is amazing of how you talked about it. But I guess, I guess there's a misconception or, you know, there's a, there's different viewpoints on like, do we just put the podcast out there as it is? Do we put ads in a podcast or, or, you know, sponsorships, you know, these types of things in between to sort of break things up and, you know, be able to, to do that type of stuff. So, um, cause you're obviously around, you've had your own podcast for a long time. You're around a lot of other podcasts and how they do it. So what are you seeing as sort of what's working and what not working in terms of potential other monetization strategies? You bet. I mean, leads are hard to come by with podcasts largely because it's hard to show attribution. You know, if somebody's listening to a podcast on the treadmill, you know, and then a little bit later, they're like, oh, yeah, I heard this thing and they click over. I mean, it's hard to show that that lead came from podcasting unless they tell you directly, which then that's fantastic. Um, but, you know, there, it's a particularly if you have a long sales cycle and if you have high ticket value, you know, then you understand that like your your sale is going to take a long time, you know. So so podcasts give the people an opportunity to to get to know who you are, I think, and, and help drive them to the position that you want. Um, so, so leads, I mean, if people come to me and they're like, hey, all we want to do is leads. I'm like, hey, man, we use Google ads for leads. You know, um, the best way to monetize your podcast is to create a large audience and advertise with brands that are interested in dominating a very uh, competitive category you know, because they're not interested in leads. They just want to be omnipresent, you know, and they have big budgets to do that. So, you know, how do you grow a podcast to get a, a very large audience? It's pretty difficult, <laughs> tell you that's true. Um, so, you know, there's that route. Uh, a good way to do it is to have very insightful guests that can like deliver a lot of value. Um, another one is just to have celebrities on the podcast, you know, um, but the other side of that, which is what I think is really interesting, is have a very niche podcast that covers a very specific thing for one specific person, you know, and it's kind of like, you know, I would rather go to war with 300 Spartans than a million people in the Persian army, you know what I'm saying, because they're battle honed. So if you can create an audience that is like very trusting in what you have to say, because you're addressing a very specific problem that they have and share with a very few amount of people. These are people that you can sell to all day long, you know, and this is kind of the beauty, I think, of the podcast community, particularly in tech, SaaS, business categories, is you'll find everyone kind of finds their lane and finds those people that you can speak to that, that um, address all of the challenges that they're going through. 
Yeah. Love that. Awesome stuff there. So, so many powerful points and, um, you know, obviously this is the business growth show and I, and I like to talk about business things too, um, among that, you know, podcast is definitely an amazing time of that. And you've got some awesome business experience, you know, with your business for, for having it over 10 years previously, as well as um, Kit Castle as well of what you do now. So, you know, a big thing about people is ideas. Like there's the shiny object syndrome. There's like, ah, oh, you know, I've got all these things. What's coming on, you know, what's coming through my head? What am I focusing on, you know? And what are the priorities really in a business? Because otherwise, if we go in too many directions, we don't really go anywhere. So um, maybe from your point of view of, of having that successful business for a while and then continuing that now with Kitcaster is um, how do you, you know, manage your ideas and how you prioritize them, I guess, so that, you know, the business is moving forward at a, at a good growth rate at the same time. You bet. You're right. I mean, entrepreneurs, what they have is they got lots of ideas. Um, I had in a previous life a career in music, and one thing that I made very um, important to me is that there's no bad ideas. You know, there's no bad ideas. We're going to try out everything, and because bad ideas lead to good ideas, and, and largely I was clearing the way so that I could do whatever I wanted, which at one point was having them sing Mary. Uh, well, it's, <laughs> it was around for like an hour and a half because I really wanted to get the harmony right and they're just ready to murder me. But I'm like, hey man, no bad ideas, let's go, let's do it. Um, but it's important base, you know, because uh, ideas are ethereal, you know, nobody knows where they come from. Um, and if and to get to a good idea, you gotta go through a lot of bad ideas a lot of times, if you're lucky. And I think one of the, the most dangerous thing is for an entrepreneur to have some early success and one of their first ideas and then they maybe they they grow to trust themselves a little bit too much. <laughs> so allowing you to have space for bad ideas is incredibly important. Um, and then having a home to put them. You know what am I going to do with all these ideas? Especially if some of them are bad. But it, it, the, a bad idea is just a die, idea that needs to grow into a good one. So it needs a home to to take root, so to speak. So I like to use Trello. I like to create a Trello board because I can put the idea for the product up top, and then I can make notes as they pop into my head. Um, a hard thing for me with kind of chasing shiny things is always feeling like I need to hold onto the idea or I'm gonna forget it. Like I have to put it somewhere and I can put it on this Trello board and I can let it go, you know, and then I can review my Trello board and then as ideas come, I start to organize them. So let's say I've got 12 ideas I'm working on. I have 12 columns in Trello with a different cards and different ideas for each of those ideas. And what I'll do is I'll start to um, qualify them to the idea that's most important that I'm going to spend the most time on as the one that's furthest to the left. Um, so the, the idea that I, I really want to spend time on is going to be furthest to the left and so on. So the 12th one down the list is probably not going to get a lot of attention until it, you have some breakthrough in the middle of the night. And then you pour it over and you, you start working on that one. Um, so, you know, what gets the attention for me, there's three qualifying factors that I, I put through, um, an idea to see if it deserves my time because I don't have that much, you know? So for me, it has to be fun. Um, if, if the project isn't fun, I'm just not going to want to do it. And so I'll kind of lollygag, you know, um, it has to be of service because I believe I was put here to make things a little bit better if I can. You know, I, I want it to be of service to, you know, fellow humans and the planet. Um, and the third, it has to make money. 
you know, and if it doesn't have an opportunity to make money, unfortunately, I'm just not in a position that I can give it that much time. Otherwise, I would still be writing songs in my closet and not releasing them or whatever I'd be doing. Um, so basically, as things move left on my Trello board, it's largely because of those three factors. It's fun, it's of service, and it's making money. Yeah. Awesome stuff. I love that unpacking and I know how it is. It's like you get ideas and you know, a lot of the time it's sometimes it's in the shower or somewhere else and you're like far out. I got to get these things out, you know, and it's a, it's a fun little dance, isn't it? To get them down. <laughs> you bet. Absolutely. Love it. Um, so there's a term that goes around called emotional traction, right? And it's, it's probably a newer term. A lot of people probably don't know what this is. Um, it's being discussed. So do you want to maybe explain a little bit about what emotional attraction is? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I'm trying to grab a grab a handle of it, really. You know, it's interesting. And I particularly now, I mean, mental health is really important to me um, and, and my team. You know, like I said, you know, we're we're uh, people heavy in our company. I've had startups where, you know, you're lean and mean, 90 percent margins. But that's not what we're doing. You know, we're creating a culture. And we're employing people, you know, and people need security and people need predictability and people need growth opportunities. And particularly the last year and a half, man, people need to find some kind of calm and peace because the world's a shit show right now. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't, I don't know how else to put it. Um, so, you know, uh, emotional traction is often uh, kind of talked about from a product standpoint, but the way I've been kind of internalizing is really kind of keeping it at home and, and thinking about it in terms of my team and how can I support them, you know, as a leader, um, as a person who's committed to profit and, you know, I, I want to make great money and I want to get the most out of my team. Um, I want to develop them as professionals and help them as best I can during, you know, our workspace. And for me, a lot of that has been to really take a deep breath and understand how I can support them in off hours, you know, when they're not at work. And largely that comes down to, I'm not tapping into their time off work for one, for sure. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, no texts, no calls, no emails, like your weekends are yours, your evenings are yours, um, that's given. But then after that, you know, how can I actually alleviate you know, the pressures of work that goes into particularly the kind of work we do. We're in front of glowing rectangles all day and have a million different alerts going off at all times. And booking podcasts is never really done. We don't have the satisfaction of building a house, looking at it and being like, well, job well done. It just never ends, you know? Um, so creating opportunities for wins. And a lot of that is really comes down to like, um, you know, being mindful of your calendar, figuring out ways in this digital world that you can have some wins, whether it's inbox zero, or it's knowing that everything that needs to be done is scheduled on your computer or on your calendar rather, and time blocked out. So teaching the team and, and teaching, I mean, this is all stuff I've learned, really it's putting into practice, like making it a practice during our week of how we're doing scheduling, how we're doing time blocking, how we're being accountability for, accountable for our tasks, how we can ensure that when we're ready to turn off our machines at five o'clock every day, you don't have to think about work. Um, so for me, that's kind of the emotional traction that's really been on the tip of my tongue lately. It's like, um, how can I develop you know, a great business culture with 
um, extraordinary professionals. And I, really for me, I think it's about nurturing their mental landscape outside of work. Yeah, amazing stuff there, really powerful. And um, I guess, you know, following on from that, you know, COVID's obviously changed the world a lot, right? And, um, you know, a lot of people are working virtually and other things there. And there's this sort of, um, you know, discussion around having an office, having people to, you know, to build culture more we're around versus, you know, having the virtual setting um, and being able to get people there. So how has that sort of impacted what you do and how are you sort of, um, you know, managing that, that virtual world now with, you know, your team? Because obviously you said you've got a lot of people in there to make sure that that culture is being well, um, yeah, defined and, and growing over time. You bet. It's funny because I built this company to be remote because I love working from home. <laughs> so everything was was designed to be remote um and then we started thinking about it you know it's probably i don't know january february 2020 we're like you know what maybe we should get a an office space and we get an office space and immediately it's quarantine it's like oh man dang this rent is expensive for not using it um so <laughs> but from there i think it was based on sound principles um you know, I've been working virtually and remote for more than 10 years, you know, but in the beginning, it was pretty challenging to me to escape the gravity of the refrigerator, you know, that to like, every time I walk past, it's like, I got to grab something. And then my, it's hard to like, get going and work. I, um, working from home is, is not easy for everybody. And it's not easy for everybody all the time. You know, so we saw the value of like having HQ where people could just come work, um, and then figuring out ways that like we could kind of introduce this work from home to folks um, in kind of a, a measured um, uh, experience, you know, so it's like, hey, one day a week after 60 days, two days a week after that, um, three days a week if you want, and then float, you know, come and go. Um, we had kind of like an extraordinary situation where we were in a co-op workspace um, that got kind of folded because of COVID. And so we just took over like 5,000 square feet with about 20 of us. So there's a lot of place to stretch out. Now that's coming to an end at the first of the year and we're moving into a new smaller office. Um, the office we chose is going to be considerably smaller than the place we have, but also intentionally smaller based on the fact that we're gonna have kind of a flex schedule, you know, where we'll have people work from home two to three days a week and they'll rotate. So how we're gonna kind of work that out in the office space itself is yet to be determined. You know, I kind of put that on the team, like, hey, how are we gonna do this? I don't want like there to be like two staff, you know, and there's clicks and stuff. Um, I wanna make sure that everybody's working with everybody and everybody who wants to work in the office can, because that's the other thing is that some people don't wanna work from home, you know? And when my kids were, were home at quarantine, it was me, it's like, I can't be here. These kids are driving me insane. I gotta go somewhere else. I only like working from home when I was alone. Um, so giving priority to the people that um, want to work in the office, having a place for them. For the people that wanna split the time, okay, how are we gonna do that? How are we gonna incorporate that? So it's inclusive of everybody and everybody gets the benefit of everybody's expertise without creating tribes within the organization. I mean, I don't really know the answer here. <laughs> Um, but I think what we're doing is just approaching it openly and like, and just kind of looking at maybe some of the traps that are, are out there for us. And if we fall into them, what are we going to do? You know, so we'll see come January 1st, um, how it's going to work out. 
Awesome, mate. Well, all the best with the move. And I can see your strategic brain working, right? Because you're thinking all these moves ahead. It's like, well, what if this happens? And how do we have the discussion now so that, you know, we can uh, mitigate the risk or, you know, strategize on, on better solutions before we get there. So that's awesome. I love that. That way of thinking uh, shows a testament to you and, and you know, working with your team um, as a leader uh, in that way too. I love that. Um, so I guess, there's been a bit of a change happening, um, especially in the US and Silicon Valley, but now expanding around um, being in a like a psychedelic renaissance, let's call it now, which is an interesting um, thing now about, okay, what's this sort of difference that, that people are doing within their lives, within business especially? Um, so I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this topic, what you're seeing and, and um, you know, where sort of you see it heading as well. Yeah, I'm glad you asked me about that. Um, a lot of different places. I think one thing that's interesting about kind of the, the psychedelics and these psychedelic drugs as they're moving back into our culture, it's something that's been with humanity since the very beginning. And it's been an incredible teacher in a lot of ways. And one thing that's really exciting, and there's, it seems like there's new studies being published all the time, is that the, the treatment options for treatment-resistant depression um, with psychedelics are extraordinary. Um, and that's, that's kind of the tip of the iceberg. You know, I, I know folks are struggling with, with that PTSD and, and we want those people to get better for sure. And, and this seems like it's actually, a doesn't seem like it. This is a demonstrable, um, scientifically proven, um, application that helps people better than placebo, you know? And that's, it's the only one as far as treatment resistant depression goes aside from exercise. Um, so I think that's really interesting um, and where that trickles down to me and maybe to the rest of us is like um, treatment for the, 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 for flourishing, for human flourishing, like how, let's say we're, we don't have some kind of pathology. Um, what are treatment options to make us better? And I think that psychedelics and maybe um, this kind of category of drugs fall into this, this kind of realm of like, it, it benefits you as a person which is hard to qualify, you know? <laughs> Maybe the reason they, they treat um, and they measure it against depression is because they can ask people, you know, how do you feel one to 10, you know? But like, if you're talking, if you, if you walk in like, hey man, I'm eight and a half or nine, pretty much all the time. Like, how do you gauge somebody from benefiting their life? Um, and I think psychedelics have uh, an opportunity here. Now that it also comes with kind of like price as everything else does. Um, is not a feel-good pill. And oftentimes I think psychedelics can be confused for that and people might go into it and have a very challenging or even horrific time. Um, so I, I think it's not something to be taken lightly, but I think what's happening now is you're seeing uh, experiments with microdosing and kind of anecdotal un, um, reports of people having benefits with microdoses. You're, you're seeing anecdotal um, experiences retold about macro doses and taking large amounts of psychedelics and having um, kind of life-changing experiences. And, and those are important. And then we're also seeing kind of originating from Pacific Northwest here in the States, um, just kind of like a slow march to the decriminalization of all drugs, which I think is also important because as a part of psychedelic culture, I feel like there's a little bit of snobbishness about that category of drugs. 
where it's like, well, these are okay, but those are bad. And these are for therapeutic use and those are street drugs. And it creates kind of this us or them kind of thing. But I think what we've seen is that a lot of time these therapeutic drugs, um, when they're available on the streets, it's just for people that are looking, they're basically the same scientifically uh, on a kind of molecular level. So I, I think there's a, a leniency towards drugs and there's like a, a curiosity of one, how can we help people that are hopelessly addicted to hard substances? And oftentimes it's other drugs that treat those drugs. Um, how can we decriminalize this so that it, we're not filling up the prisons with people that are only interested in experiencing their consciousness in different, uh, different ways, even if that means escapism or whatever. So I think there's a lot going on right now as far as kind of consciousness expanding drugs um, and kind of the, the end of the war on drugs. And what does that mean? You know, Americans don't like to take losses, but drugs won in the war on drugs. <laughs> so how do we, um, and, and maybe that's what raises the next question is how do we enter a responsible, uh, respectful, humble uh, relationship with illicit sub substances and, and bring them into our culture in a responsible way. Yeah, what an answer. So deep, so amazing there. And <clears throat> excuse me, my, what I, you know, just to add on that is that you're seeing it now with, with cannabis oil and, and CBD oil, especially, right? Where, you know, there there's these natural, you know, plant that is actually helping for pain relief and, and other things, right? And it's like, okay, it's being decriminalized. It's massive in the US and Canada and Australia. It's starting to build up among other countries around the world. So I see that probably as the first step, even though it's not necessarily going deep into the, the psychedelic realm, but it's like, it's a good start. And now I think that's likely, hopefully in my eyes, opening up to those other ones where it's like, okay, what's the next step? How do we, you know, control this in a, in a, in a great way to, to benefit everybody at the same time. So thank you for that. That was a very deep answer. I loved it. No problem. You know, the uh, cannabis is a big one for sure, but also ketamine is really interesting um, because ketamine is used as a anesthetic for children because it's so safe. You know, you, they can't give opiates to kids um, for pain and things, pain management, stuff like that, but they can give them ketamine. Um, and so, you know, in the States, you're seeing a lot of, ketamine therapy centers where, you know, therapists are blasting their clients off with, with ketamine because it's so safe, you know, now psychologically it can be obviously very challenging, but there, there's, there's hundreds, if not thousands of years of text about experiencing these things um, as being a net positive. Now, often they're talked about as ego death, or they're talked about as like dying before you die um, and getting a, a chance at rebirth. So, you know, if people are uninitiated, I'm sure hearing about all this stuff, you're like, wow, this is going to be great. And it's just not necessarily that's true in the great way that is like an ice cream cone. Rather, it's like more if you break your foot and then when it heals, you realize how happy you are to be able to walk again. It's kind of more along those lines, you know? So um, if, if we're talking about psychedelics and drugs in general, I, you know, I think it's just a, a responsible to, to kind of <laughs> put a, a caveat on there that, that uh, it's not for everybody and it's obviously can be dangerous. Yeah, love that. Do your research, everyone. And um, yeah, awesome points though to, to bring it to our awareness of where uh, our society is changing. Um, 
And a lot of people, you know, where we get a lot to a success, it's not necessarily happening by ourselves, right? We need other people around us. And, and a lot of the time throughout our journey, we have like, you know, coaches or mentors and things to help us along the way. So I probably want to hear from your point of view. Have you had some coaches and mentors along your journey and how have they helped you to, to get to where you are? I haven't, you know, I, I think a, a mentor is something I always wanted and just never did. I, I think that that space was filled by podcasts, you know, podcasts and uh, audiobooks became my mentors, you know, and there's something wonderful about that. I mean, obviously in, in real life, there's a tangible emotional connection that you might have with the mentor that you can go to when you're, you're in your kind of your dark spot, you can vent or something like that. So it's a very one-way conversation with podcasts and audiobooks. But boy, you sure get the condensed wisdom of like a one-way conversation, you know. So being able to, you know, use podcasts as kind of a tool to go out and like solve my own problems to me was extraordinary and such a gift and such a blessing. I mean, for me, it started probably when I was probably. 99. Okay. I, and I was into esoteric stuff, you know, and Alan Watts was my guy, the way of Zen. I read that book. I'm like, wow, it's great. And it was very fledgling uh, website, alanwatts.com or whatever that.org. I don't know, but you went there and you could order CDs. And I was like, wow, all Alan Watts CDs. And so I paid a couple of hundred bucks for like seven or eight Alan Watts CDs, man. And I tell you what I ran, I played those out you know, it was incredible. You know, I could put him in my car and it was just like, it was what I was looking for. You know, as I mentioned, you know, as a musician for a long time, music actually wasn't a, an escape for me or like a, a creative exercise, like analyzing the, 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 the reverb of snare drums. Like I was just, I wasn't able to really enjoy music, but I could really enjoy this, this Alan Watts seven CD set you know, and just get into like what he was saying and maybe the, the laughter of the crowds. And, um, you know, as, as that kind of paved the way to, to what podcasting is now, you know, I'm just really so grateful that um, it's there. And I remember I had this aha moment where I have a iPhone two in my hand and I'm playing around with the podcast app, you know, and I realized this is when you could search for podcasts and you didn't have to now plug it into your, your, computer to download the episode like it could stream to your episode people may not remember a time but <laughs> it wasn't that long ago that you would actually have to plug it into your computer and download it anyway um and i you just start going through categories and you're like oh my gosh there's podcasts about painting your house there's podcasts about collecting dolls there's podcasts about everything so it started you, you know you can take that internally and be like, well, what am I interested in? And I started finding all these podcasts about all these different things and then connecting them on Twitter. It, kind of a magical time at the beginning of whatever Web 2.0 became to be now. Um, maybe it's a little malignant now. Um, but in those times, it was great. So, you know, for me, my mentors were a one-way conversation. I listen to them talking to other people. Yeah, love that. And it's, it's really powerful, right? Because a lot of people don't realize the power of like audiobooks and podcasts now that there's such great information there. And that's, you know, a great initial step, right? You don't have to go straight into that. It's like, how are you helping your mindset? How are you getting the knowledge, the skills on what you're interested in or where you want to be? Um, and, you know, from a podcast host perspective, if I was to add something as well is, 
you know, a lot of the time, what makes a great podcast interview is asking questions that I'm interested in at the same time. Because, <laughs> you know, there might be some certain general topics that we can talk about, but it's like, hey, this is a particular question that I'm interested in. Um, and that's going to serve me, but it also likely serve other people, right? It's like, it's like group coaching mentoring. You know, when someone asks a question, everybody benefits, right? And I think whether you're in that, just that smaller bubble or the bigger bubble, like a podcast, it's massive on the effect of that. And, and you know, obviously Kitcasters um, doing an amazing job of, of connecting people there to, um, yeah, help that, that knowledge get out there, which is amazing. And I guess as we're um, wrapping up now, Ryan, you've provided some amazing information about, um, you know, podcasting as well as um, some other awesome topics that we've done. I guess what one key final piece of uh, advice would you give to all of the entrepreneurs uh, watching and listening today? You know, I would say record the conversations with your friends. You know, podcasting is awesome because it's probably the only time during my week that I have somebody's undivided attention and then I give another person my undivided attention. I mean, you know, the people I love the most, I'm talking to my children, I'm like scrolling through Reddit on my phone, like, yeah, baby, that sounds like a great day. You know, it's terrible, <laughs> but it's true. Um, so, so if you record the conversations with your friend with the intention to do that, something magical happens. You know, that was the beginning of my podcast career, sitting down with my buddies when, my music career fizzled out for the last time. It's like, hey man, let's get together and do podcasting. They're like, what is that? I'm like, I don't know, but I think we can still drink beers and just talk. And they're like, oh, cool. That's what I like anyway. Um, so I'd really encourage that for, for folks, you know, um, particularly, you know, our elders, you know, if you got if you if you're lucky enough to have grandma, or grandpa, you know, if you, your parents, you know, um, do this here, get on a phone call, get on a Zoom call and record the conversation and ask them about the love of their life and ask them to explain the story to you. It's incredibly powerful. And I'll just kind of close with this one story. I was uh, on my Trello board was an idea for a company that did just that, that went and, and, and got our Nana's and Papa's love story because I, I'm a romantic and I thought it'd be a beautiful thing to do. Uh, and I was gonna validate it with my own Nana's and Papa's. So I spoke to my mother-in-law and I said, hey, you know, Mimi, I'd love to interview her. And she's like, yeah, Mimi, I'd love to have you do it. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, just never planned it out. Um, well, the, that was probably in September that the day after Christmas that year, Mimi passed away, you know, um, tragically wonderful woman, but, you know, she passed because she was older. And at the funeral, we're sitting around after the service and we're, it's next to the pool and sun's going down, beautiful moment. And I kind of went to my mother-in-law was like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry. You know, I, I wanted to interview Mimi and get that conversation. I just never did. I'm so sorry. And she's like, no, Ryan, I did. She's like, when you told me that, I sat down with her and I had her tell us, the, tell me her story of, uh, you know, when she met Opa. So she, she pulls out her phone and hits play and we could hear Mimi's voice you know, ringing out that, that night of, of her funeral. And it was so incredible. I mean, I'm getting chills thinking of it right now, but like you could hear like the Philadelphia in her voice. You know, you, I, could, I could hear all these details and like her voice because it was so magnified by just the, the moment. Um, and it's incredible. It's something that I'll have forever, you know? So um, that was impactful for, for me. You know, some of these stories are great for business, great for entrepreneurship, but also 
like there's some things you can't get back, you know? So if you have the opportunity to record some conversation with your friends, especially now we're having some great conversations every once in a while, it's like, it's good for you. <laughs> we can't wallow in our sorrows forever, man. We got to turn the corner on this, it, you know, um, do that, you know, reach out to your parents, record conversations. I guarantee you something magical is going to happen. Yeah, uh, so powerful. And I got chills as well when you said that. So um, thank you for, for sharing that, Ryan. I'm sure that's, yeah, I'm definitely, my mind's already thinking of, of starting that. And I'm sure, I hope everybody, I recommend definitely doing that because, um, yeah, you never know um, where you can play it, like in those moments, really powerful. Um, so, yeah, we, we connected through our networks where I learned about your awesome journey from having owned a media and marketing agency for 10 years to being the podcast host of Talk Launch to now the co-founder of Kitcaster, a podcast booking agency where you facilitate thousands of extraordinary conversations. You're helping more people be heard so they can make a difference in this world. You're an awesome guy, uh, so open, so knowledgeable. And um, you know it's been amazing today. And I'm sure you continue helping entrepreneurs book top podcast interviews through Kitcaster. I'm very grateful that we connected and I look forward to working with you in the future as well. So Ryan, how can people find you and get in contact with you? Best place is LinkedIn. I deleted all my social media except LinkedIn. Um, so hit me there. I'd love to talk about anything podcast related and, and happy to speak to your audience for sure. And Ethan, it's been an absolute pleasure, man. I appreciate you having me on these shows and such great questions. This is awesome. Yeah, awesome, mate. It's been so awesome um, having you here as well. So definitely check out Ryan on LinkedIn, guys. He's just uh, a master of podcasting and connecting people to, to get your voice out there. So thank you, everyone, for watching and listening to this show where we talk about everything on business growth. Please like, subscribe, and leave us a five-star review. You can find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and YouTube as Ethan Cassiotis or visit my website, ethancassiotis.com. I completely agree with you, or do I? The only way you will know is if you tune in next time. So until next time, remember that our business grows when we learn skills and take action using them in spite of fear. So remember to design your growth and results. Mm -hmm.